Welcome to the Plexus Presidential Podcast Series. We are excited to have Dr. Kevin Brown, President of Asbury University, as our guest. Well, perfect. Well, hey, let's. I always like to start off with your journey. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah, and so who, who are your mentors? Yeah, um, I, before I even talking about that, I have a bit of a weird educational background. Um, I, I, I would say when I went to college, I, I majored in basketball. Uh, I went there to play basketball at the University of Indianapolis. And, um, but I did a, an MBA after that. Um, years later, I did a Master of Letters in Theology in Scotland at St. Andrews. And my doctoral work is between urban economics and political philosophy. And so I have this weird educational background. Uh, I, I actually don't think it's that weird. Uh, accreditors might, you know, it doesn't fit neatly into a box. Um, but that that's a bit of, of who I am and um, just trying to see the, these overlapping spaces. And so that's one of the things I love about the university life is that um, there, there is a lot of overlapping space between disciplines, how we think in an interdisciplinary way. And I've been very blessed to have mentors who can kind of guide me along that path, um, who, who think in similar terms and um, I think can, can help me process uh, what it means to, to integrate different thinking and then to apply that in some functional way uh, to my leadership role. More practically speaking, there is a, a gentleman I meet with regularly uh, Dr. David Geyertsen, he was a former president at Regent University, was a president here at Asbury, president at Taylor University, and continues to work in the higher ed space, but he chose to retire in Wilmore, and uh, that's where Asbury is, so I've been a, a blessed recipient of that decision. Uh, we're a part, our institution is a part of of several different organizations, and that gives me connections to presidents who have gone before me and are a phone call away when I have some of those questions about how to think about a situation. They've been helpful mentors. And then there are several men and women who aren't really in the Asbury ecosystem uh, who have been incredible uh, just to partner beside me and um, help me think about this administrative role and uh, again, just just bring wisdom that uh, I don't presently have, and so that's that's been a blessing. What position did you play in basketball? You know, I, I played a shooting guard in high school. I'm six foot three, but in college, I played point guard a lot. Uh, interestingly, so I always had someone uh, much quicker than than I was uh, guarding me. So I I had to use learn to use my body really well, but. Uh, I love the sport. I love going to games here at Asbury, uh, but I'm, I'm quite happy to play. I used to try to do intramurals with our students, but I, I think those days might be done. Now, could, could they beat you at horse today or not? Uh, probably. I, I suppose it depends on the student, but uh, I'm, still, I'm still pretty good at horse. But uh, anything beyond that, I'm, I'm not going to do very well. Yeah, I have to ask. Our corporate office is in, uh, in the Bay Area of San Francisco, so we've got a a, a big uh, Golden State Warrior following. Okay. With Steph yeah. Curry and, and the team. Now, I'm based in, in, uh, in Tennessee, and I went to school in North Carolina. So it's, um, uh, 
I'm I'm kind of torn a little bit, but uh, but I like understood. It. Understood. Yeah. So Duke or UNC then? Uh, yeah, UNC Chapel Hill, Powder Blue. Got it. Yeah. Got it. So now, did, did you plan to be a president? No, I I did not uh, plan to be a president. I I knew that at some point I wanted to get into higher education administration. My my story in college, as I said, I, I really went just to play basketball. I figured I'd major in business and find a job eventually. Uh, but college is just a fascinating time of, of intellectual and social and moral and spiritual vulnerability. And I just had women and men who just chose to invest in my life. They didn't have to, and they did. And it really changed everything. It really changed the trajectory of, of my life. So when I, I think of Asbury, I, I think of that, that's who we are on our best day. And so the opportunity to play a larger administrative role in establishing, sustaining, facilitating uh, the, the conditions that shape our students' lives and their future, that was an inspiring and exciting opportunity for me. And that was something I, I wanted to, to get into. I, I was told um, that my name had been put into the hat for this position. And that was the motivation for exploring that more. Now, I'll just say, I, I think on those days when the water is choppy, this is the vision that recalibrates me and uh, motivates me or re-motivates me and, and helps get me out of bed the next day to, to come back to work and, and give it my all. Um, thinking about these people that invested in me and the opportunity for us to lock arms and strategically do that for our students today. So other, other than COVID, what's, what's been your biggest surprise as a president? Yeah, COVID, goodness. Uh, yeah, that, that was a surprise. I, That's I, the I easy that, answer. Yeah, that, right. Uh, yeah, global pandemic. I, I think just how multidimensional the position is that, uh, you know, I, I, I've shared when we think of like a, a managerial uh, direction, uh, we tend to think of management as managing down. Uh, who are the people underneath you? How are they managed? How are they led? How do you partner with them? And this truly is a position where you're managing down, you're managing out, uh, we're, we're managing uh, as we, we think about constituents and stakeholders in our community, our alumni, and then you're managing up. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about our board of trustees, uh, staying in close contact with them, making sure that I'm still a responsible fiduciary for their vision uh, of the institution. So uh, there's complexity there. And there's just a, such an interdependent nature uh, within higher education uh, so I, I, I was sharing this with someone once that I think they had some understanding that, you know, a president just says, make it so, and, and everyone kind of uh, scrambles around to make something happen. I, I gave the, the Tennyson uh, line that uh, there's not to make reply, there's but to do and die. I said, that is not higher ed, it is not presidential life. I think something else that was a surprise is just how important uh, even small things can be. Uh, the first day I, I started when I met with my mentor, Dr. Geyerson, he just said, everything speaks. That very first 
talk you give to faculty that first time you address uh, the community and public, when you're speaking to uh, that prospective parent and student group, everything speaks. Uh, even how my, my office is arranged uh, is communicating values. And so that's that's been a surprise. Um, I've recognized the importance of very effective communication and that, that uh, we can't communicate enough sometimes. And then I think the importance of just being incredibly deliberate with time and almost to the point where as an administrator, as a president, I need to feel a kind of selfishness with time. And maybe that's the wrong way to put it, but to, to have outlined clear priorities that help adjudicate uh, how my time is allocated most effectively, again, to uh, advance the mission of the school and, and be the effective fiduciary of the institution that the board hired me to be. So I think those have been the most surprising elements and just how pressing uh, those responsibilities can be and, and how deliberate a president has to be on a day-to-day -day basis. So we've interviewed a number of presidents that talk about, um, you know, top challenges being a decline in yield, um, an increase in discount rates, and the enrollment cliff. Um, can you speak to those? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one of the things, uh, well, let, let me put it this way. Um, yeah, there, there are no shortage of challenges. And one of the, the lines that I've used since I started is that the, the methods and the modalities by which we fulfill our mission will change. They're always changing, uh, but the mission doesn't change. And so we have to think carefully about how do we deliver on our mission in a changing environment. And I think COVID was interesting because it accelerated inevitabilities in higher education more than it bent the curve in, in some new direction. And some of those, some of those inevitabilities, uh, especially post-financial crisis uh, at the beginning of the 21st century, um, one of those changes just relates to how higher education is understood. What is the purpose of higher ed? And so there's some fascinating work in this. If you go back several hundred years, it, it might be to, to produce clergy uh, or uh, yeah, religious education um, or just, just personhood and uh, some of these very noble aims of living a full and vibrant life. And I, I believe in all those things. Uh, but today, if, if you look at surveys, higher education primarily is understood as uh, a, a, an important institution that's going to foster the economic potential of its students. So job preparation uh, and whatnot. And so I, I think Amongst the many other things that we do, we have to answer that question. I think uh, post-financial crisis, uh, we've been in more of a buyer's market than a seller's market for higher ed, uh, which means more and more of the conditions of matriculation will relate to the prospective student uh, than the institution. I think one of the, the massive changes uh, that we've seen and that we're seeing is the, the blurring between high school in college and grad. And what I mean by that is uh, when, when you and I went to school, Brad, uh, we were more likely to have a discrete high school experience, college, and then graduate. Uh, but we see today that our students are coming to us uh, with more and more credit 
so the credit transferability, uh, there's more market substitution for free credit hours than any other time in, in human history. Uh, so I think we, we have to account for that. But I actually think that gives us an opportunity to reconstitute the value proposition of what a student will receive uh, during their time here. In other words, in a couple of years, I think it will be more or less the exception for a student to go to a university for four years to get a bachelor's degree, as opposed to a student in a three, four, five-year period coming and they'll have a minor, they'll have a major, they'll have a bachelor's, they might have a master's. There are so many uh, three plus one or four plus one programs, uh, an internship, a mentorship, an immersive travel experience. So again, I think this just provides us with an opportunity to reconstitute the value that an institution of higher education will provide to a student um, during their, their time uh, at college, as opposed to what has occurred in, in years past. Yeah, and so how does Asbury University, where do you find your students? Yeah, um, several years ago, about a third of our students came from the state of Kentucky. Uh, right now, over half of our students do come from uh, Kentucky and, and regionally. Um, we, we see that more and more students come uh, for affiliate uh, reasons. Um, so, for example, our media communications program is, is uh, one of the best in the country. Students go to the Olympics. Uh, they have internships through that. They have a lot of hands-on experience. We actually have uh, a Sony group right now shooting a Pure Flix film uh, on our campus. So that's kind of cool for students to see. Uh, athletics um, is a draw for students. Um, and again, some of our other programs, business, uh, equine, we have an equine program that uh, we're, we're in the heart of central Kentucky, beautiful, beautiful uh, horse country. And so um, we have a lot of equine majors and we're just now building a uh, new riding arena for Western riding. Uh, so that's, that's pretty exciting. Uh, so a lot of our students are regional, uh, but a good number of our students are international and, and throughout the United States. Um, again, based upon some of these uh, affiliate hooks and programs that we're offering. So, and how does, um, how does Asbury um, build relationships with the local community? And, and, yeah. and local businesses. Can you talk a little bit about that strategy? Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. I, I've always thought it, it's, it's a good question. If we were to disappear overnight, would we be missed? And, and who would miss us and how would they miss us? So I think it's really important that any work that we do in our institution is not just interior, but spills over into our larger community. So we have several ways of doing this. We have a, a group called the Catalyst Center on our campus, and that is connecting our students uh, with, with business internship opportunities, nonprofit opportunities, uh, mentors. Uh, it's also working in the local community. We have a lot of close associations right here in central Kentucky uh, for partnerships that we really believe in and feel strongly about, uh, certainly with churches, uh, as we are a, a Christian institution. We work with the Kentucky Refugee Ministry. Um, there's a uh, sex trafficking survivor ministry that we work with. Um, and then we're regularly engaging in service projects. Uh, that's very much a kind of nat natural outworking 
of what we do here. In fact, I think today uh, we have a group of students who are down in Eastern Kentucky, and that was facilitated through our, our Catalyst Center. Um, so I think it's very important that, that we're able to uh, point to and identify where, where do we see some of the spillover effects in our community and even the larger community and, and oftentimes the world based upon uh, the fact of our mere existence. Well, and, and you, you all have an amazing first year retention rate, um, over 80%. Um, you know, when, when talking to a number of administrators, um, you know, the conversation about diversity comes up, but without diversity, or excuse me, without inclusion and belonging, diversity doesn't mean much. So maybe you can tie in, what is it, how are you able to achieve such a high persistence rate? Why is that important? And, and what does belonging mean to Asbury? Yeah, great. Great question. I talked earlier about some of those affiliate hooks that, that we want to draw students into. Uh, but once a student comes, we, we really want to draw them deeply into, like really weaving them into the fabric of community. Um, so I think this is typical in a lot of schools. A student might come to play shortstop or they're coming for theater or they come because there's an exciting program and a great internship tied to it. And we offer all of those things. Uh, but you, you said it really well. We really want to draw them in uh, to a strong sense of belonging. And I, I think this is something that Asbury does very well. In fact, it, it really is the heart of who we are. Um, belonging uh, is just being very deliberate about not just what happens in the classroom, but what happens outside of it. So just a few things I'd mention. Uh, we, we do have a chapel and that occurs three times a week. It's required of our students. We do that the entire semester. Uh, but this is a time, it's, it's really extraordinary, where we stop everything we're doing and we all gather in one space uh, for the edification of our community and to attend to worship uh, and honor and glorify God during that time. Uh, we have a strong residential life staff. Uh, we have an intercultural life staff. So programming specifically for our intercultural student groups. And then there's just a variety of, of natural programming that, that's taking place um, on a year-to-year -year basis. Some of that is informal, like um, you know, chili cook-offs and uh, basketball on Wednesday mornings and faculty lunches and these kinds of things that, that occur. And then there's the formal programming, uh, sophomore musical, freshman formal, the junior-senior dance. We have a high bridge film festival uh, that occurs every spring. This is a very exciting event. We bring in judges uh, from Hollywood. We have uh, student leadership teams. We are constantly doing student trips and retreats. In fact, we, we just got uh, a grant for all new students within their first four semesters will have an all expenses paid uh, worldview retreat that they can attend. Uh, that's very exciting. And then we just have these events that are occurring in student life. We'll have panel presentations. Uh, we have art exhibits um, and, and those kinds of activities. You talked about uh, diversity and uh, there, there are so many values of ethnic diversity that, that we could speak to for our campus. I think there's a theological impetus for that as well uh, that we inherit from our tradition. Um, but We've really wanted to move with diversity beyond a, a kind of more is better 
um, idea and to have strategic goals to aim for. So that, that includes having deliberate recruitment strategies for all of our students. Uh, it includes having a strategy for when we post for a job uh, that we're trying to get that as much exposure as possible so we can broaden our applicant pool uh, and attract diverse applicants. And then to have actual goals for our staff and faculty that uh, would reflect our student population. Um, and I mentioned again, deliberate intercultural programming that's consistent with the student life emphasis that we have here at Asbury. But all of those, all of those initiatives, again, are deliberate uh, to try to tie us together so that there is uh, a deeper sense of belonging, that a student can say, I belong here. Uh, and can experience a durable identity and a durable sense of responsibility and obligation as a function uh, of that belonging. Uh, so it looks like um, you know, the institution is moving from NAIA to Division Three. Is that is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Okay. So yeah. what what are the advantages to doing that? Yeah, as of last September, uh, we we moved to NCAA September first. So that was very exciting. And there are different philosophies that, that schools have um, as they, they think about an athletic conference and uh, NCAA versus NAIA. I think for us, um, the NCAA has a, a pretty tight season and schedule. And so they're very good about emphasizing student athlete. And that, that aligns well uh, with how we want to think about our student athletes. Uh, they're first a student and then they're an athlete. Um, there's some very competitive schools, NCAA, that are within our region. And uh, these are tremendous liberal arts institutions like Asbury. And so uh, we want to compete with them um, from an academic standpoint, and we can, but we also want to compete athletically as well. Um, and uh, just a great group of schools to, to be around. Um, and there can be some benefits, too, based upon the conference uh, that just relate to travel. And again, the rhythm of an academic year uh, where uh, we, we have that opportunity for students to play in sports and have the team opportunity, opportunity with their coach. Uh, but yet to have that uh, composition of what they're doing on campus, what they're doing academically and with sports uh, be more tenable for the student. Uh, so they're not overwhelmed, and so it's not overwhelming other parts of student life. Uh, so again, there are different philosophies on that, but we're really excited. We're really excited to be a part of the organization and uh, looking forward to the days ahead in, in CAA. So what are the top two goals that you're thinking about? You know, I'm sure you've got a lot on your mind, you've got a lot on your plate, but there, are there a couple of goals that are that you think about every day? Yeah, Um uh, those are, there are a lot of goals I'm thinking about. Uh, so I, I mentioned earlier the, um, some of the blurring between high school and college and grad. Uh, so one goal is I think we want to more intuitively uh, allow for a student pathway so that they can have more value and have more deliverable, deliverables during their, their high school experience, or high school uh, into college, into grad experience. And so I, I think that's the goal, to make that easy for a student and not to make that complicated, uh, to make the, uh, the credit that they're bringing with them to see uh, how that's going to play into their future and to allow them different pathways. Do they want a double major? Uh, do they want to get a master's degree? Do they want to fit in an international semester travel experience? 
Um, and so that we're providing those, those pathways and those opportunities for them, all while uh, continuing to provide uh, a rigorous education while they're here, a great student experience, uh, and then to prepare them for that next chapter of their life. Um, kind of a, a, an immediate goal, uh, we're currently in a fundraising project to uh, create an athletic complex that would have a, a turf field and then a, a track stadium um, so that we can field the track and field team. Uh, we do have a, a cross-country program, but I'm excited about this. And if it's uh, a venue uh, that's multidimensional, in addition to track and field or other sports, uh, we could have concerts. We could also do commencement ceremonies. Uh, we can maybe have high school state meets uh, there as well. And then I, I think there's always the goal of trying to think carefully about what are some of those alternative revenue sources that are within the scope of the university and how can they be a good steward of their assets, uh, again, within the educational scope uh, to find some other ways beyond simply tuition so that they can be sustainably long-term. So I think some of the, those are some of the, the dominant things that uh, I think about when I wake up and, and come into to work. So you talked about, you know, additional revenue streams. And I know uh, the campus is predominantly undergraduate students, but um, you also offer online as well. And it looks like either most or all of your graduates are taking some form, either hybrid or fully online degree program. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And Very that, similar to other schools. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say that's something that, as you mentioned, a multi, you know, multiple modalities, potentially an additional revenue source. What's the, what's the future look like as far as how big do you want to grow online? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think every school needs to have a sense of where, where are you operating that scale? And um, endless growth is, is not a goal. Um, it's, it's what's within uh, your scope. And I, I think as long as we can continue uh, to fulfill our mission, uh, at scale. Um, we want to have the right composition between our undergraduate students and uh, non-traditional students online, uh, graduate students online. Um, but the, the goal isn't to just grow those uh, at some exponential level. It's but what, what's the right amount so that we can continue to maintain uh, our mission as an institution. So uh, we're, we're near that today. We can certainly um, do for more students from graduate and non-traditional, and we've looked at some different ways of achieving that. Um, but historically on campus, we've had anywhere from 1,000 to 1,200 students, and uh, that's consistent with the facilities that we have today to service those students, and again, to provide them with the comprehensive experience that I've described earlier. So how, how big do you want to get? Or yeah, I, I think that uh, for an institution with our resources, if we were at a headcount uh, across all of our programs between uh, 1,800 and 2,200 students, um, uh, that, that is a nice fit for uh, the resources we have, what an economist might say is minimum efficient scale. Uh, but yeah, I that would be the right number before we'd have to think about additional infrastructure to accommodate um, more students from there. Uh, if, if we grew from there. So let's talk a little bit about your history. I am always so uh, impressed at the, the longevity and 
the resiliency of so many institutions. And so you were established in 1890. Yeah. And maybe could you walk us through a little bit of that history? Because, you know, obviously COVID, you know, that that was, a, you know, and, and you could speak to it better than I could, you know, from an institution standpoint, a very challenging time. But when you're established 130 plus years ago, you've been through a lot of tough times where you had to be resilient. Can you talk about the resiliency, uh, you know, of Asbury University and, and just kind of walk through the history a little bit, if that's okay? Yes, absolutely. So over 100 years ago, our founder, John Wesley Hughes, said that Asbury exists to develop the whole person. And I think that's a really important statement uh, because inherent in that, in that is the recognition that our students aren't just brains on a stick, that we kind of populate their minds with information or uh, adapt them with the right skill and move them down some assembly line uh, in, into a job market. And so this was the original understanding of our founder. And that, that impulse um, or that compulsion really has, has uh, been front and center of this institution's history all the way back from 1890. And I think the, the day that we're not involved in the full formative holistic student uh, experience, uh, we're no longer Asbury. Um, one of the things in our history that uh, is very extraordinary that uh, a, a lot of people talk about when, when they discuss Asbury was we had a chapel service in 1970. Chapels last about 15 minutes. Uh, this chapel lasted six days. <laughs> uh, and so this is referred to as the Asbury Revival, uh, where students expected a normal chapel and uh, stuck around for almost a week just an extraordinary moment and um, something that we, we talk about often. We celebrated the 50 year anniversary of that a couple of years ago, um, but that we are an institution, um, not just with intellectual commitments, uh, but also moral and spiritual commitments as well. And we see that as part and parcel of our identity and who we want to be uh, so that our work can be considered faithful, glorifying unto God, and edifying unto our neighbor, our community, the common good. And I think as long as we keep doing that, we're going to have a relevance. And uh, that really has been the history of this institution uh, over the decades. Mm -hmm. So when, you know, as you prepare students for their lives and for their journey and for their careers, how do you make sure that they're prepared for jobs in the future that may not even exist today? Yeah. So glad you, you asked that. Now, I, I just want to say that I, I've been so keen to, to try to point this out. I think there's this false narrative uh, of education today that either you, you go and you get this highfalutin liberal arts education that is expensive, even though it's very interesting, and then graduates are saddled with debt, they can't get a job, and they're a barista and live in their parents' basement. Or you can go and get a very narrow technical degree and be assured a job. And I just say that because it, it's a false trade-off. That, that's not a true story. Um, and we, we hear that not just from educators, but, but from employers. Uh, so absolutely, we need relevant programs 
that have clear pathways to the market. And, and Asbury does. So again, we, we have a strong media comp program. We have business, we have education, we have equine, we have sciences, hard sciences, we have social sciences. But to your point, we also need to inculcate those intellectual virtues and capacities that can outlive and outlast the dynamism of tomorrow's marketplace. So that, that is critical thinking. It's problem solving. It's being able to work effectively with others. It's being able to articulate oneself. It's judgment. It's prudence. And again, we're, we're hearing this from employers. Um, there, there's uh, something I, I recently shared. I think this was um, uh, blocking on the, the study. It, it was 80 million job postings. Um, this kind of labor market analytics firm found that employers uh, in looking at these job postings are seeking skills like critical thinking four times more frequently than the top five technical skills. And uh, you made a point about jobs in the future that do not even exist. I, I've been very deliberate to share a quote about, uh, it, it comes from the Institute for the Future, where they said 85% of the jobs today's graduates will do in 2030 do not even exist mm. yet. Uh, so in many ways, this is just a new paradigm for how we're, we're considering preparation and education. We're, we're not just simply preparing students to get a job. They will get a job, but we're preparing them to add value in the job spheres that they go into. And we're not simply preparing them to get their first job, but, but also their fifth and their ninth and their 12th. And we're not simply preparing them for the year that they graduate, 2022 or whatever it might be, but for 2030 and 2040 and 2060. And we're not simply preparing students to keep up with these hard skills that are necessary for marketplace relevance at a given time. As important as that is, uh, we're, we're again inculcating these enduring qualities that we believe will outlive and outlast the dynamism and the unpredictability of tomorrow. Uh, and it's not just about, again, information. We're not just populating brains on a stick. It's about wisdom and it's prudence and it's virtue. There's a student uh, that graduated um, recently and uh, I, I was sharing with the group. I, I said, her name was Alex. I said, you know, I don't, I don't know what 2035 is going to be like. Alex will be just fine. <laughs> I have absolutely no doubt about that because she's a perfect picture of exactly what I'm describing. Someone that has this uh, full breadth of intellectual virtues, of, of sensibilities, of capacities, of practices uh, for living well and for making these judgments that uh, are important to employers and are gonna be relevant at, at any time and place, regardless of the character or the context we find within that particular time. So where do you think Asbury is going to be in 10 years? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, I, I, I laugh at that uh, a bit because uh, we're in, involved in strategic planning and uh, I'm reading a challenging book right now by uh, the author is saying, you know, don't plan out five or 10 years because the, the things that will probably be staples of your institution are things you, you may not necessarily plan for. So uh, I'm, I'm challenged by that idea. Here's, here's what I would say. I, I go back to that John Wesley Hughes comment, uh, Asbury exists to develop a full person. And so we're going to be in that business. And that's, that's 
rigorous, relevant 21st century education. It's uniquely equipping our students with these requisite skills necessary to navigate the complexities of, of tomorrow's global marketplace. Uh, but it's also deliberate, intentional student formation. Um, in 10 years, we're going to have a vibrant campus. We're going to have vibrant people. So again, the, the, the methods and the modalities um, by how we fulfill our mission will change. Our mission doesn't change. Uh, and that mission is to prepare, it's to equip our students, we say through academic excellence and through spiritual vitality, uh, to serve the professions, to be relevant in those professions, uh, to serve their neighbor and their community, to have this kind of missional uh, reflex and instinct, uh, and to serve other mediating institutions like the church or the family, and to faithfully exhibit our Christian beliefs to the service of others and, and to the glory of God. And so whatever whatever the character of, um, let's see, 2032 is, uh, I know that we're going to be doing that. We'll be engaged in that work. Yeah, and I always, you know, I'll always tell my kids, you know, try to take advantage of the opportunities that present themselves. You know, and so when you look at, you know, going to Asbury University and, you know, take advantage of what you have. Um, but even even when you graduate, you know, make sure that you have ties, you know, that, that allow you to, to freely come back and, and engage and feel like it's family and home. Yes, yes, absolutely. You know, I, I'll just share really quick. One of the extraordinary things that that occurs on this campus, we do a reunion each summer where we bring over a thousand alumni back. They actually stay in dorms. I mean, it's, it's really incredible, very vibrant campus. And I, I think that speaks to those ties that you're mentioning, that people want to come back to the institution. Uh, they want to share uh, with their classmates. They want to have dinners. They want to have experiences. Uh, we do a hymn sing. Um, we do several gatherings. Um, and that, that's very special. A couple of years ago, we, we did that. And uh, it was, let's see, this was 2021. Um, and so COVID was down enough. Vaccines were out. We, we gathered. We had um, 11 or 1,200 people come. Uh, but the, the class from 2020 came. Um, some of those graduates, I think we had 50 or 60 alumni from 2020. Well, that class didn't have a graduation uh, because of, of all the COVID modifications. And I remember being on stage in, in this auditorium and we've got, you know, a ton of people in there, but I looked up and I saw this class sitting together and I, I was recognizing them, but um, <laughs> one of those, like, you can feel your throat, like, I'm going to get emotional here. Like, you know, I, I need to abandon ship because it just made me so sad what they missed, not being able to, to cross that finish line together in person and to properly celebrate that. Uh, and then to form that, that tie that, that you just described where they can come back and, and feel this affinity to their institution. So hopefully we won't have something like that again in the future. But what you're describing is so important uh, that... Uh, a student graduates, but we always want them to feel like this is home uh, and for them to have that experience. Excellent. Well, President Kevin Brown, we thank you for your time. This has been uh, this has been a great podcast. Thank you, Brad. I think I, I really appreciate the opportunity. I want to thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. 
Thank you for joining the Plexus Presidential Podcast Series. For more information on the series, please visit us at plexus.com forward slash solutions. Thank you.